1: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I have a question. Yes. So I was just thinking about how much I hate moving. hmm I mean, just like in general, how much moving sucks. I was just wondering, like, how many
0: politicians do you
1: think work really hard to get reelected
0: just so that they don't have to move? I mean, based on their enthusiasm for their actual jobs, I'd say the moving things are a real motivating factor. <laughs> I mean, do you think that when
1: the Trumps moved out of the White House that they had a couple boxes that were still there that just said MISC
0: that hadn't been unpacked yet? 100%. Though the thing I think about when I think about some of our elected officials is that, like, Dick Durbin and Chuck Schumer have been living in a group house for a while, so it makes me think they really do love their jobs. Yeah, they definitely have matching pajamas. For sure. For sure.
1: This week, Los Angeles City Councilwoman Nithya Rahman, Michaela Watkins, and Tien Tran joined to tackle the following questions. How is waiting for life to get back to normal sort of like waiting to take off from O'Hare Airport? How is the pandemic impacting housing insecurity and homelessness? What's wrong with standing a politician? And which two hosts are going to team up and put on a Broadway show when all of this is over? All this and more right now. Okay. Welcome to the show. Uh, news for today. I guess COVID tops the news. We could talk about the frustrating stuff in Washington, but I think the COVID thing is a bigger deal. Biden announced this week that his administration was near a deal with Pfizer and Moderna for 200 million more doses by summer's end. But this might not speed up how fast people are getting vaccinated. Uh Basically, uh, we we went into the Biden administration with this idea that like, yeah, everything's going to, you know, things are going to get better. Now we're knowing just how bad things were because the Trumps had basically no vaccine distribution plan. And now um, I feel like, you know, the feeling of being on the tarmac. Remember flying? Remember flying in airplanes? Vaguely. Vaguely. Okay. Well, it was like this thing and you would get in it and then like you would sit there on the runway sometimes. And the pilot. And sometimes you would just sit in line for like an hour and you would really have no idea when you were going to take off. And they would, they would keep telling you it's going to take tw- you know, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. We're next in line. We're next in line. And then next thing you know, it's three hours later and you've missed your connecting flight to Minneapolis. Um, starting to feel like that with this uh, vaccine rollout thing. Alyssa, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on um, the end of the p- pandemic being in sight, but very small?
0: So, I mean, look, it's like we're all here. The two of us were adult women. We understood the pandemic wasn't going to go away. But I think maybe in my deep, dark chocolate center of my heart, I thought that when Anthony Fauci came back on television, he'd have good news. And it's like, it's like on the one hand, we're all happy to have the real news now and know what's up. But I mean, Aaron, things aren't really getting better anytime soon. It's like Biden came into office, President Biden came into office, and he thought he was going to have to fix a plan. Turns out there is no plan. The new head of the CDC is like, I'm here, I'm on it. I still can't figure out how many actual vaccines there are. Um, so I think it's it's disappointing. They have done nothing wrong in this measure. This is just them reporting the truth of what had not essentially been done. Mm-hmm. And you know now there's like some not great strains coming out of the UK, Brazil and South Africa which right now they believe at least the UK uh variant is still um stopped by the vaccine. TBD whether South Africa is uh is too uh physiologically different to uh to have to not to have the vaccine not work. Um but there's just still a lot of stuff to do. He bought, the uh, President Biden bought 200 million more doses of the vaccine from Pfizer and Moderna, which in theory I think covers all Americans by the end of summer or early fall. So we still have a couple seasons to traverse before things feel like they will get Better And it's the same thing, Erin. It's like you're on the tarmac and you're like, we're fucking 30th in line. Then we're 10th in line. And then you get up to 5th in line and they're like, weather hold. And yeah, so we got to, have to de- de-ice the wings now. Uh, I feel we have like, to like we're refuel. in a weather hold.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And it feels – and it's like you're disappointed and you're mad, but you're like not mad at them because, you know, they're just telling the truth and we want the truth. But it's like – everyone I know is kind of in a COVID funk. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, also, as of this past week, uh, 3.5 million people have been fully vaccinated. That is slightly more than 1% of the population. Uh, we need 70 to 75 times that to achieve any form of normalcy. 19.9 million people have gotten one dose of it, but only 3.5 million have gotten both doses. Um it seems to me like um, right now, you know, of course, the federal government having a strong federal plan is really important. But at a certain point, you know, it it does become the responsibility of states and, and localities to roll this out. Where I live in LA, they've turned uh, Dodger Stadium into a vaccine super site. Um, but the thing is, in most places, in order to get an appointment to get a vaccine, even if you have a super site, you have to have some like computer savvy. You have to go online. The website has to work. You have to register. And the people that most need these vaccines in many cases are people that are not extremely online. They're like fucking 90 years old. I've seen so many people talk about um, trying to make appointments for their parents or for their grandparents because their parents and grandparents don't know how to work the computer, the websites are crashing um, because too many people are trying to use it and government websites uh, tend to suck. Um, and you know, and, and when it turns out that states thought they had a certain supply of vaccines, but actually they don't have as much as they thought, they've had to cancel people's appointments, which is really, really frustrating. Um, Alyssa, you looked like you wanted to jump Oh, in.
0: no, I was just going to say here in New York, that's been a real problem because everyone signs up for their vaccinations and here there are sort of like... Outposts. So there's a big vaccination center in Rochester. There's a big vaccination center in Utica. And so people are traveling like three hours to their appointments. And basically, there's this whole thing now if your appointment's not before noon, don't bother driving because so many people have driven, old people, older people have driven three hours and then got there and the vaccines run out. And so it's like, it's just, you know it it's easy to see how it's like the hope quickly becomes hopelessness again mhm
1: yeah and and you know it's it's hard to navigate even if you are very savvy but to to somebody especially like you know if you're a frontline worker you're a healthcare worker you're a busy parent like you don't have like don't have that much time to do this shit this is like a lot of of a lot to ask of people um but we're just i think the government is doing the best they can with what they have, And they're trying right. to do this as, as quickly as possible. But, you know, meanwhile, in, in some places um, in California, uh, governments are relaxing stay-at-home orders. So uh, I don't know how great that is going to go, uh, just because—for a couple reasons. I think the stay-at-home order at first, just from my observation, had zero enforcement— where I lived, um, you know, it's, it's ridiculous to expect people to stay physically in their houses and not go outdoors and exercise. And I have no problem with people going outside and taking a walk or going on a run or going on a bike ride and just, you know, try staying away from each other and staying masked. Um, but close to where, you know, I, people were having social gatherings outside all the time. Where I live. And there was absolutely no enforcement of the stay at home order. So households were mixing. Um, Meanwhile, people that were following rules are like now living in a world where variants of the virus exist, partially because the reason that variants exist is because when people swap viruses or give, you know, we give, if I caught COVID from you and it started to replicate in my cells. it doesn't get copied perfectly, basically. And variants happen, the more transmission happens. And so having parties, having super spreader events, having restaurants open, having any, any place where the virus can be transmitted increases the risk of some sort of variant emerging that we can't deal with using the vaccines that we have. And I just, I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't like to think about it too much because it makes me, I I, just—I can get none more mad, like I'm at my top of mad. I can't get any more uh, concerned and angry about the fact that while the vaccine is rolling out, we might be shooting ourselves in the dick here. Does Mm -hmm. that—am I crazy? Am I crazy to be
0: worried? Listen, it's like—it's like, here's the thing. If you have made it this far, let's say, you've made it this far and you haven't gotten COVID— Why are you tempting fate? Why can you just not fucking stay home a little bit longer? I have to tell you, I was very close to a citizen's arrest up here when I saw (laughs) the night of the Buffalo Bills game. Someone who lives not that far from me, there were like 15 cars in their driveway, and I literally had to slow down because I got so mad. I like slowed down and pulled over, and I was like, you fucking assholes. Like, we are so close. And I don't know. Let's just—and let me tell you something. They were not socially distancing inside. We know they weren't. hmm Right, because unless all the windows are open and everybody's taking a break and going outside every five
1: minutes and you're also masked, it's very dangerous. Um, it's very dangerous. The, the other thing that we have to contend with is I think the Biden administration is really working hard to— deal with this is, is making sure that the public knows about the vaccinations and that the public knows correct information about the vaccines. So, um, the, the administration is trying to create a public education campaign so that people understand that the shot, the vaccination is good and, uh, it's, and it won't hurt you. Um, I had a conversation with a, a woman that I know this week, and she said that her mother-in-law was trying to discourage her from getting the vaccine. This woman is a teacher. And her mother-in-law was like, it could, you know, don't get the vaccine. I've been seeing some stuff on Facebook. It is really important <gasps> for, yeah, people have been, people have been seeing stuff on Facebook and trying to, you know, warn each other against getting the vaccine. And and I think that it's so, this is you know, a war of information in a way. If if Biden is treating this COVID pandemic like a war, one of the major fronts of that war is information. And the Trump administration totally fucking lost that war on information because so much proliferated that was not true. Um, they didn't even that- put up a team. <laughs> no. They were like... <laughs> no, they just had... Gar- they had. I almost called him Garrett Kushner. I kind of <laughs> want his name to be Garrett now it would it fits uh, his new face <laughs> It's garrett uh so garrett and his team of mckenzie geniuses were like did nothing um I, and i feel do you think we're too far behind the eight ball when it comes to winning the war
0: of misinformation around the vaccine no i don't here's why because they need to hopefully what team biden is going to do now what i'm sure they're going to do is like a completely guerrilla campaign they need people going door to door. So you know, in um in many years ago, uh, we did something called, uh, Fema core which was you have so many people who don't understand like what the Fema money's for your house has been ruined well what happens if you owe taxes and you sign up for Fema money are you like revealing yourself like are you if you are an undocumented person and you try you go to get the vaccine or is ICE going to be there like there are all these questions that people don't know the answers to and so what they need are fucking radio ads Um, because everybody listens to the radio. Like, we also assume that everybody has internet access and can do things like get on and make an appointment, and they can. They need radio ads. They need things on public transportation. They need people going door to door to tell people what to do, and they need information in every language that is represented or spoken by people in this country, because I've seen nothing that's not, around here anyway, that's not English-based. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that once you do that, like, I think that so many people don't even have bad information. They just have no information. So I think mm-hmm. they just have to start worm's eye and build up from there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the Biden administration has their work cut out for them, but I'm glad that Ron Klain is in the driver's seat. He's, if anybody knows what they're doing, uh, it's, it's Ron in every it's way,
0: r- both how yes. to run the government and quell a pandemic. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so we're cheering for Ron, and we are also daunted by the the size of the task. Um, I want to move to, uh, I guess this is sort of like a borderline roast uh, news item. I just, and I don't like to give this oxygen to people that are just like professional trolls, but when they're like dangerous trolls who uh, seem to pal around with like IRL terrorists, I think that maybe they, they weren't a... Um, a a mention. And because the the mentioning of this person uh, asks a bigger question, and I think, Alyssa, you can help us answer the question. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, who Mm. is um, a representative from the state of Georgia, there's a bunch of stuff that's been coming out about her this week. We already knew that she was uh, weird. Uh, We already knew that she was a QAnon believer. We already knew that she was um, batshit insane. Um, But this week, some stuff came out about her— Uh, posting stuff to social media about executing prominent Democrats uh, as recently as 2019. This wasn't like Marjorie—it's not okay to post that stuff to the internet, period, but it wasn't like it happened in 2010 and whatever. No, this happened in 2019. Marjorie Taylor Greene was posting shit. She also used to go um, around—she used to post videos of herself on YouTube following and harassing parents of children killed in the Newtown school shooting. Um, You can watch that video if you want to punch the nearest hard object and possibly break your hand. I cannot recommend that. So, Alyssa, how do we get this bitch out of office? She's, like, clearly dangerous. How do we get her out of office?
0: So, well, it seems like her constituents who voted for her kind of knew about this. So I don't think we can uh, hope they are just going to recall her or, uh, or not vote her back there is an available option. Expulsion. What is expulsion, Erin? Expulsion, per Article I, Section 5 of the United States Constitution, says, each house may determine the rule of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and, with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. So it feels like she could get expelled. Really? And then who would would her successor be appointed
1: by the Republican governor of Georgia? I think that's true. So really, the Republicans would just be taking out a dangerous... Uh,
0: an embarrassing and dangerous person if they expelled Marjorie Taylor Greene. And since uh, Kevin McCarthy hides from any and all responsibility uh, for anything ever, the fact that he actually came out and said to a reporter he was going to, quote, have a talk with her, <laughs> I guess I found a smidge encouraging. yeah. But she said sick shit, like like she's not fit, dude. I mean, like we knew she wasn't fit. None of this is like super surprising. But this is like levels of derangement that you know. I mean, this is when when
1: Alexandria Ocasio Cortez talked about feeling unsafe because of some of her her coworkers. I cannot imagine that Marjor- Marjorie Taylor Greene was not among those people. And you know, here's the thing: like acting how Marjorie Taylor Greene has acted would get you. Kicked off the community anything. fake sale volunteer shift. Like, I don't want to say like it would get you kicked off of working at McDonald's because people who work at McDonald's work hard and uh harder than Marjorie Taylor Greene as her job as a
0: congressperson. She you would get fired from literally any job from acting any that way. job where you interact with people or anything, you would get fired from any company if you acted, talked, spoke, or said anything or posted anything as Marjorie Taylor has in the past most recent five years. I mean, that's the part that's crazy. This isn't some like, you know, go back in time and there's like a Supreme Court justice who can't be a Supreme Court justice because he wrote something batshit in a law school paper. This ain't that. This was like five, this was like 500 days ago.
1: This was not long ago. This was, this was like the, the post should still be available to the general public. It hasn't yet been automatically (laughs) locked to her friends. Um, Here's another thing I've been thinking about this week is Republicans have gerrymandered the fuck out of every state that they had the ability to gerrymander because they're cheaters who have no principles and they don't really care about, um, they don't really care about governing. They just care about winning. Yes. So is, is a future America that is gerrymandered all the hell going to see more Marjorie Taylor Greens because completely gerrymandered districts
0: will enable a batshit insane Republican to win? So I think, so this is something you have talked about for a long time, and I think that you are exactly right about this. The Republicans, through their shady fucking wrong gerrymandering, have created the ultimate Frankenstein. Mm Like— They have created a monster they now cannot control. And it's like they're all – like I'm not giving them any credit. I'm just saying that not all Republicans are the same. And not all of them are as terrible as Marjorie Dingbat. And no, but I think you're – I think that you – We're going to see a lot more people. I mean, the fact that she won is crazy. She's literally like, she shouldn't even be a Republican. She should be like Marjorie dash Q because she really just represents the QAnon party.
1: I mean, I honestly would not, if Donald Trump were to found his own political party, which he won't because it requires work and Donald Trump is fundamentally a deeply lazy man. Um, But if he were, if he were, and people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and and Lauren Bobbis. Bobbis. I'm not going to yes. say her real name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, all all of the the wingnut like like wingnut wing of the party um, were to join Donald Trump, they would essentially fuck up Republicans in their very gerrymandered districts. And while the long term effects on American democracy would probably not be good, I have to say that would give me a laugh. If they I gerrymandered and what ended up happening is like uh you know a bunch of Ted Yohos end up running in in all the districts and beating people to the right, fucking forgot about Ted Yoho,
0: no he's uh Ted Yohos I he, dare he was a, say Aaron, there's quite the basket of deplorables in that party, yeah, I mean I feel like it seems everyone like someone got, might not have been wrong, I feel like. Someone
1: may have been very correct about that. And I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of people who are never going to apologize to her owe her an apology over how far down her throat they jumped over the fact that she called them what they were, which is deplorable. Okay. So that was like a half roast of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Do we have any other toasts to roast, Alyssa? I mean, should
0: we? Well, I mean, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta roast the huck. Sarah Huckabee (laughs) Sanders came out with... Her ad. Guess what, bitch is running for governor, and guess what, she thinks being White House press secretary qualifies her for that. This was the best part. One, it was the most. First, the video. I don't know who's doing her media or what. Was eight fucking minutes long. And Who I has have the time. Who has the time? That is like, unless there are puppies involved or it is a TikTok that involves sea shanty singing, I (laughs) am never going to make it to the end. And you know what? She didn't even have, there was an ad many years ago that was on the longer side and it was called America and it was a Bernie ad and it had fucking Simon and Garfunkel, it's like singing America and there was like a fucking seascape and like, it was beautiful, landscapes. Hers was about her. (laughs) And it was eight minutes long. And she's basically like, I went to Afghanistan with Donald Trump on Air Force One. Therefore, I can be governor. I went to, I did the press briefings every day and beat down the press with lies. I can be governor. And the truth is, she's probably going to be governor. I mean, I guess. But she's just like so awful and why we have to stay vigilant about these people because she was like, she was like a spokesperson for lies, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, again, another as we said last week. One of the one of the injustices of what happened in this administration was that Samantha B paid any price whatsoever for calling Ivanka a feckless cunt because she is. Let's also just shout out Michelle Wolf here because everything she said about the lies being eyeshadow was all fucking true, too. And she's just going to take that to Arkansas. And I mean, I guess they're her problem now. But <laughs> the sub note, the roast of this, though, was the very pathetic, like, Word document that Donald Trump faxed out or whatever he's allowed to communicate on where he endorsed her in all, like, strange caps letters that we haven't seen in a week, which was really nice. Yeah. But yeah, fuck her. Fuck her. Yeah. Fuck her.
1: She's uh man, she's got she's got the charisma of like a a bowl of cereal that has been sitting in the sink with milk in it and it's just like the slimy cereal and it's been like more than a day so
0: there's like a crust on top of it. Like Fuck, that's I how, totally hear what you're saying. I can see that bull looking at me right now because I watched her video. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Like eight minutes. That's rude. that's
1: rude. That's rude. That's like that's ruder than a three and a half hour movie. Like respect the time of the people who you want to vote for. You, Jesus, and Sarah. I'm the dick for watching it, but still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are that dick, but you were doing it for roasting purposes. Here's here's something I that I learned. From the Georgia election and from uh, people like Stacey Abrams and um, other people who have kind of, who helped flip Georgia. I don't think that we can underestimate activists working on the ground in places like Arkansas. Good point. Like, how many people in Arkansas are waiting to be registered to vote? Is there an activist there doing the work? Probably Maybe that person has a plan that we don't know about. Maybe that pl- person is going to do an interview with us in like a couple months and tell us their plan. And we're going to be like, oh, okay, Arkansas, Stacy. And then she's going to, or he or she is going to turn out to be right. I think that like the South has so many voters that have been, had their votes suppressed. And, uh, you know, who knows how many, many are in Arkansas. I think it would be great to see Sarah Huckabee Sanders
0: lose and <gasps> well we will work for that it will it is something that we will uh, we will undertake because fuck mm-hmm. her yeah she sucks she sucks um and
1: i think that's i think that's it for roast we have other things to roast but that's just going to take too much time so let's take a quick <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a quick break and when we come back we are talking with one of the most exciting politicians working in local government it's Nithya Raman from Los Angeles And welcome back. Uh, One thing that is really important to remember as we talk about gridlock in the federal government is that a lot of really important work gets done at the state and local level. It's actually a lot less frustrating to engage at the state and local level because you have more of a chance to get what you need heard. So that's why we're excited to welcome today's guest. It's Nithya Raman. She's an urban planner with a master's from MIT, a mom of twins. She co-founded SELA, a neighborhood homeless coalition. She was a former executive director of Time's Up. And now she's Los Angeles's newest council member representing the fourth district, the first woman ever to do so. We are thrilled to have you. Welcome, Nithya.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Um, So these past four years, we've seen a really exciting increase in young progressive women running for all types of office from the federal level to the local level. Your campaign in LA in particular had such an electric energy in the city. Uh, I've never seen it before. Um, I go to this coffee shop in Atwater. It's my favorite place to, to get coffee in Atwater Village, which isn't even in your district. And I remember one day it was suddenly... Nithia Central. It was like plastered. People were so excited about your candidacy. What compelled you to run?
2: You know, I think it's the same thing that drew people to the campaign. Frankly, I feel very much like all of the people who got involved in the campaign, which is I felt really helpless watching a federal government, which was, you know, flailing. Uh, I felt really helpless watching homelessness increase in my own neighborhood and wanting to do more to help people um, who are losing their homes and people who are living in encampments. And for me, and I think for everyone else who got involved, it was an opportunity to get involved locally, to do something that was really immediate. SELA was really the first place where I saw that realized. We got hundreds of volunteers in the neighborhood engaged on homelessness in a city where I feel like the narrative around homelessness has often been people don't want these resources here or people don't want shelters here. People don't want low-income housing here. I saw the opposite. And so I, I think I saw something firsthand, which is true about Los Angeles, which is if you give people an opportunity to participate and if you give them an entryway into building something that's a systemic change that can be positive, that responds to our issues in a compassionate way, they get excited about getting involved. And I think that was the spirit that really drove the campaign as well.
0: Nithya, what do you think has stood in the way of local governments effectively dealing with people who are experiencing homelessness? And how are you working locally in L.A. to confront and overcome these obstacles?
2: Well, so there's a couple of different things. One, and I think a lot of people who don't know L.A. very well or who are relatively new to L.A. don't understand about homelessness in Los Angeles, is that it has changed a lot over the last few years. So even five years ago, six years ago, homelessness was really concentrated in a couple of different neighborhoods in Los Angeles. It was in Skid Row and in downtown L.A. And there was a a few people in Hollywood and then there were some people who lived near the beaches. But in most neighborhoods in Los Angeles, there just wasn't that much visible homelessness, right? And so the incentive for local officials who are dependent on getting votes to get reelected did not really depend on them taking swift action on the issue to make sure it was resolved. Now those incentives have completely changed. Homelessness is absolutely everywhere; it's in every neighborhood across the city. And I will say, you know, there—it's me and two other new members on the relatively new members on the council. One who's returning um, after y- y- being on the council years ago, and one who's a you know famous, uh, a well-known state-level politician who is now on the city council. For the two two new members and me, um, and for almost everybody else, homelessness is a top priority because now it has to be, you know? And, and so I think that that is an impediment that used to be there that now has completely changed. The other piece of it, I think, is who participated in local politics in Los Angeles for a really long time Elections were happening on off years, very few people voted, and the people who voted, uh, you know, in my viewing of what had happened, were not the people who were most likely to experience homelessness. They weren't likely to lose their homes. They weren't at risk of facing eviction. Uh, They weren't the people whose family members were homeless, or they weren't the people who would experience homelessness themselves. Because of the change in election timings, and I think because of a push not just in Los Angeles, but across the country for people to get engaged in politics and and really to look locally. I think those, you know, who participates in local elections has really changed and nowhere was that more apparent than in my most recent election. In the previous general election for this council district, which covers 250,000 residents, um, which uh, has some of the highest numbers of registered voters, it's 180,000 registered voters in the district. 24,000 people voted in the last general election for this council district. And in my election, over 130,000 people voted. So you can see the transformation in who is voting. And in a city that's majority renters, whenever you increase the number of people who are voting, you're gonna see an increase in people who are younger, who are not homeowners, who are probably more representative of the diversity of Los Angeles who are voting. And that means that your incentives are gonna change in terms of what you do at the city council so as much as i'd like to say oh i'm bringing fresh perspectives into the council and you know th- this is a change that i i'm bringing in really what it what it means is that these voters are making their voices heard these voters are making their priorities heard and i think that is the thing that's going to really change what we do in the council going forward it's it's the people mhm um,
1: the organization you co-founded, SELA, emphasizes treating and speaking about unhoused people as members of the community who are worthy of respect and dignity. I'd love it if you could speak to the importance of language when it comes to people who are unhoused and people who are facing housing insecurity. Why do our words matter here?
2: That's a really great question. So unhoused Angelinos, that a, that's a relatively new term that's now become much more popular um, in use. What I have used in the past, which I think... Um, feels most appropriate for me is people experiencing homelessness. Um, Mm -hmm. And for me, that's really important because first of all, it puts their personhood, their humanity first, their people, um, not the homeless. They are people. Um, And that it shows just in the very construction of that term that they are experiencing homelessness, that it is not a permanent factor of their life, that that it is an experience that they're having temporarily. And it is one aspect of their personhood that we are talking about this moment, it is also something that we can take action on. They don't have to be experiencing homelessness all the time. If we make sure that the conditions that led them to homelessness are resolved, then we can make a change in in their lives. Can you
0: explain how widespread housing insecurity is and how the pandemic is impacting the number of people who are housing insecure? And is there a difference between housing insecure and experiencing homelessness?
2: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I think the data on these uh, questions of housing insecurity, of being rent burdened, of, of overcrowding, all of these come from often different data sets. But I think if you look at the number of people who are experiencing homelessness, which is uh, about, let's say about 60,000 in the county of Los Angeles right now, uh, the numbers of people who are overcrowded in their homes, so multiple families in uh, a single household, in a single home, those numbers are actually far higher than the number of people who are experiencing homelessness. People who are uh, moving from home to home a lot. So these are people who are living in places that weren't really designed for people to be living there. So that means they would be living above a garage. They would be living in a friend's living room. They're moving from home to home. And a place where you can capture some of that uncertainty is actually in the school district numbers. And if you look, for example, at the school district stats of students who are facing housing insecurity, and you see how many people are living in a living room or who are moving households a lot, those numbers are far higher. And so I think What this indicates is really not just that we have a, a major issue with regards to homelessness in Los Angeles, but that we have to address that pipeline of people who are falling into homelessness on a regular basis. And actually what we've seen in the city of Los Angeles and in the county is that with the explosion of funding, That is directed towards homelessness that came primarily from Measure H, which we passed a couple of years ago and has really brought hundreds of millions of dollars, which wasn't there before to address homelessness. The city and county have actually gotten pretty good at housing people. Right. But the numbers of people who are becoming homeless because they are on the verge is so high at the percentage of people who are experiencing homelessness now who are homeless for the first time is also very high. So if you look at all of these other stats, of the, you know we are just not able to keep up with the numbers of people who are actually falling into homelessness. And I think what we need to be thinking about as a city, what we need to be thinking about as a county, is how do we stop that pipeline? How do we make sure that the people who are facing housing insecurity... Uh, are aware of the resources that they have available to them, or able to stay in their current housing, or if they need to move into something that's safer, that is um, more comfortable for them, that we are able to give them the pathway to doing that. And I think that's a question really of outreach. And that's something that I think the city is very well equipped to do, even though we don't have the kinds of dollars that the county has to take on some of these issues. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom this week
1: extended the eviction moratorium in California through June 30th of this year. I'm wondering what you think about this and um, if eviction moratoriums are enough. And if they're not, what else must be done?
2: So I think during this moment of crisis, uh, an eviction moratorium is absolutely essential, right? So we need that to make sure that people are able to stay in their homes through the period of the pandemic, through when businesses are closed, when people are having trouble making making rent. I think that some of the challenges uh, with this, um, with thinking about this, is that when those eviction protections evaporate, we will have a number of people who have huge amounts of rent debt that they've accumulated through this period. We will have people at that moment who either will be evicted from their homes at the end of that eviction period or will struggle to make rent afterwards. They will be really, really uh, rent burdened and and with this this incredible amount of rent debt. And so I think there is a long-term challenge that we have to be looking at here. The eviction moratorium is good, uh, but we need to be looking at how we are actually going to make sure that people aren't losing their homes the second the eviction moratorium lifts, uh, and B, that they are not entering into the post-pandemic period burden with rent debt, which can cripple the Los Angeles economy for years to come. I mean, this is the biggest challenge that I think we're going to have to face looking forward. Uh, And the the bill that they're talking about at the state level does grapple with this a little bit. And what I'm looking at at the city level is how do we make sure that people know what resources they have available to them as they're trying to navigate this period?
0: Are there steps, Nithya, that people can take no matter where they live to help members of their communities that are housing insecure or experiencing homelessness?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I would push for people to look at programs that are not just providing a meal. Uh, Even though those are incredibly important, um, and I think particularly at this time when people are facing so much economic shock and, and are having trouble making ends meet, I think those are incredibly important. But over the long term, I would encourage people to look at programs that are thinking about connecting people who are vulnerable in whatever way to programs that don't just serve food, but use food service as a way to connect people to case managers, to mental health workers, to addiction services, to counseling of all kinds. And I think that looks like looking for a program in your neighborhood that's co-located with legal services, or that's co-located with a social service provider who's actually staffing that that event. Um, And I think it can take a little bit of work to find that kind of program. But I think there are those kinds of programs in every single neighborhood. There are amazing nonprofits doing that work throughout Los Angeles. And I think finding those programs, supporting them, and then being part of that community, uh, I think is really the best way to get involved and to stay involved.
1: Councilwoman Raman, thank you so much for joining us. We are big fans of yours over here.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of this podcast uh, and of Crooked Media in general. And it's, it's really exciting to be a part of this community as well. So thank you.
1: We can't wait to see what you do on the council. And welcome back. We've reached the part of the show where we all get together and kind of goof around, <laughs> right? <laughs> all, this is a goof around time. Alyssa and I are joined by two wonderful women that you know and love. going to bring in first. She's a writer and actor and comedian, uh, and she is coming in from the Champagne of Illinois. That is Champagne, <laughs> Illinois. Tian Tran, welcome. Hello, everyone. So good to be here. Tian is becoming Midwestern from the head down.
3: Yeah. No, we were, we were talking about that earlier that I have like a, a, a tan Carhartt jacket. And when I see, when I see those Midwest men out there with their Carhartt jackets and Carhartt looks, I'm like, we are brothers.
1: We are family. We are the same. That's awesome. You just need to get like a a gun that is camouflaged and like yeah. a, a canoe
3: preferably a pink camouflage
1: gun cuz oh have yeah to be. you could do a pink camouflage um bow and arrow which I is have kind seen of like those, those come <laughs> all the way back around to kind of being cool like a regular bow and arrow is is like kind of cool a camouflage bow and arrow kind of not cool pink camouflage bow and arrow back around to cool again <laughs> who
3: knows maybe next time i'll have one
1: <laughs> that would be great just <laughs> be careful with it i think those can Hurt people. Um, up next, she's an actor, writer, performer, and all around gal about town.
4: It's Michaela Watkins. Hello, how are Michaela. you, Michaela? Um, I'm sorry, I have unstable. Where I have, are you? I'm, I'm in L.A., but I'm but this house's internet might as well be in the backwater of Louisiana. <laughs> Uh, it's it's very unstable. Yeah, we're going to get messages from people in the
1: backwater of Louisiana and they're going to be like, my internet is great.
4: My internet is stellar. <laughs> I caught every word of your of your presumptuous diatribe. I love Carhartts. I wish I had some more. I feel like whenever I wear Carhartts, I'm like, I got this for free from someone. We're brothers. Somebody left this at my house. And now I'm wearing it. We're brothers. <laughs> <laughs> We're brothers. <But> I, yeah.
0: <laughs> Alyssa, are you in you're in Carhartt country, aren't you? I was going to say you guys, I tried to get the Carhartt plum colored uh, overalls, they're <gasps> quilted. Um they have been sold out for ages. Um but apparently they're good for short people, so I was like, oh, "How? Why would I not check these out?" Uh, but they're all sold out. So yeah, I'm in Carhartt country. DK and I have matching Carhartt hats because they are bright orange, like <laughs> Tien's, and it means you don't get hit when you go walking or shot when you go hunting. <laughs> that too. yeah, yes, yeah, that's yes. true. Or you don't get shot by people yeah. who are hunting. <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true. Although, yeah, people drink a lot when they're hunting. I don't know if people who aren't from a part of the world where they hunt understand this, but like drinking and hunting are very closely intertwined.
0: It's like drinking and ice fishing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, but drinking and ice fishing, hopefully you're not using a gun when you're ice fishing. You're doing (laughs) it wrong if you're using a gun and you're ice fishing. Okay, then I've been doing it wrong this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is a rare episode of Hysteria where we are in all four time zones. I don't know why I get such a kick out of this, but Michaela's in the Western time zone. I are Pacific time zone. I'm in Mountain Time. Uh, I'm in Utah. Uh, Tian is in Central Time, and Alyssa's in Eastern Time. I have a Mountain Time Zone anecdote to, to kick off our conversation. It doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about, but I just think it's funny. Um, so I'm in a town called Cedar City or I was driving through a town called Cedar City, and uh, one of the main places people seemed to hang out was an indoor axe-throwing uh, venue. <laughs> you go in, and you're, like, issued an axe, and you just you throw it. Mm. That's, <laughs> And I really, really want to do it, but nobody's wearing masks. I'm not doing that right now. At whom do you throw? Oh, no, it's not a whom. <laughs> it's a what? It's a wall. You, threw it at, you throw it at a wall. Does the
4: wall have, like, any a target?
1: Think so. Yeah. It looks like a painted like okay. circle target, um, and yeah, I mean, at whom? That's like a very sadistic version of the dunk tank. If you
4: could, <laughs> I didn't know if it was like go, you know, go work out some stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: How no. much? How
3: much room do you have around your place? Just like go get an axe and throw it at a, a hard thing, okay. a hard object.
1: Yeah, I feel like. It's not as e- – like, the axe only has the one pointy thing that can get stuck in something. It could be dangerous if it, like, went the wrong – anyway, I'm not doing axe-throwing, guys. Don't worry. I'm not, I'm not catching COVID in an indoor
4: axe-throwing place <laughs> with all of TN's Carhartt-wearing brothers. My brothers um, are there, and they love it. They're I, I good just, at it. I just know that's a recipe for me throwing my neck out. Uh, there's no version of axe-throwing. <laughs> Where I'm not like in (laughs) track, where just like ah, just really threw
0: my neck out. (laughs) Um.
1: Okay. Let's let's get into the topic for today. And uh, first, I'm going to explain the reason, you know, why we're talking about this, and that is stan culture. And in case you're not familiar with what stan culture is, so we're all operating from the same definition, stan culture is basically being such a huge fan of someone or something that you do not accept any criticism of that thing whatsoever. It makes you mad when anybody says anything bad about that thing. So mad that you might uh, go online and tweet something mean at the person who said the mild criticism, or you might unfriend the person who said the mild criticism. It is all-encompassing fandom. And honestly... Uh, For quite some time, I thought it was just sarcastic. I did not think that people were honestly, like, stan fans of things. The reason I wanted to talk about it today is because we are a week into the Biden-Harris administration. Um, All four of us uh, have an affinity for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. But we also anticipate that we'll probably have some policy disagreements with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I feel like we're kind of in a moment right now where um, political support and fandom have bled into each other so much that it's difficult to um, to engage in thoughtful criticism of a politician without being accused of hating them or you know being anti them or whatever. So um, I feel like Alyssa, since you are the person who has the most experience working in politics. I would love to hear your perspective on the evolution of the way that people engage with politics and and how you witnessed
0: standing evolve, especially under Barack Obama. Standing is very dangerous. (laughs) Standing is very dangerous. Because if we don't think everyone is capable of, like, having a bad... Like, I don't, if you if you say you have to like something about everyone, it's going to be very hard to ever find like middle ground or compromise or anything like that. And so for us, <laughs> I'm going to tell you there were a lot of Obama stands in 2007 and 2008, a lot of Hillary stands, right? And so one once Obama became the nominee, it was hard to get the people who thought that. Hillary was the only one who could ever do anything. I love you, Hillary. But, you know, everybody on board to do things. And then once we became uh, president, once we took office, the big problem with the stands is that there were so many people who were like, Barack Obama, you be all, end all. You can do no wrong. And then Mm -hmm. he got into office. And before we found the bathrooms, people were protesting outside. And the people protesting outside were not Republicans. And so I think that, One, um, just holding someone up as a perfect specimen is never going to end well, right? Saying that there is someone who can do no wrong. You will defend everything they do until the end of time. Um, It's also – it, like, hurts your credibility. So if you have the people out there who are, like – You know, and there is sort of an expectation. Like, if you go back, it's like, well, if you really love Barack Obama, and you work for him, like, you would never criticize him. And it's like, no, it doesn't mean that I don't – I agree with every single thought the man has ever had, um, more than most people for sure. But I think that it just sets up all these sort of false expectations for who a person is and what it actually means to be supportive. Mm Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Michaela, have you ever found yourself coming up against political stands or finding yourself reacting as a political stand to criticism that was valid?
4: I mean, I just started laughing because like before the ink was even dry on the on the inaug- inauguration papers, there's inauguration papers, right? Um, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> like when you buy a house. <laughs> I just closed on the presidency. Uh, that, uh <laughs> that I uh I I was already being brutally attacked on Twitter by um by Bernie Bros, you know, and um just wow. for making like a, a jokey video response to a friend uh, where we were saying, you know, it all started because she said I broke the thermos you gave me, but Biden's president. And that, you know, and so I just kind of started riffing on that. And uh, I'd be like, I in my car and I was like, but Biden's president. And then I cranked my music and just sent her a video of me just rocking out. And I was besieged by Bernie, Bernie bros, I guess, for a lack of a, because it was like mostly like 98% white men who, Uh, wanted to tell me why I wasn't allowed to be happy. Because that's what women like. (laughs) Women love that. Hey, why don't you find the one day that there's not a rapist living in the White House and tell me I'm not allowed to rejoice. Uh, So, (laughs) and and I just, um, I was sort of shocked, but I I I remember that this is how it is. I mean, this is how it's been. Like you said, Alyssa, with Obama, I probably fell into that category of a stan. You know, I mean, I can only think of one thing that of his entire presidency that I didn't totally align with <laughs> the rest of it. I was. The, what was the, it? The, the drones. I, I I absolutely hated when mm-hmm. I found out what drones did and who they were hurting and how they operated. And I was like, if you changed the pronoun, the proper pronoun on that and said it was any other president, I would be really upset. Mm-hmm. Um And uh, because I felt like there were so many cards stacked against him that I had to, you know, fiercely defend him. And I think that's what happens with Trump. And I think that's what happens with Bernie. And I think that's, I don't like any, the truth is like, I'm surprised that I could put myself in that category about Obama because- there's not even anything else in the entire world that I feel that strongly about. Um, I, I, I don't have any tattoos because I, will, I, I don't have conviction. The only thing I can get a cat tattoo of is, is <laughs> most likely my husband and for 100% my dog. And beyond that, like nothing. I remember going to my niece's bedroom and I tried to leave her a note and there was no room on the wall because... You know, it was all Fallout Boy posters. And then a year later, I made a joke about <laughs> Fallout Boy. And she, like, didn't talk to me for a week. She was like, I hate Fallout Boy. And I don't like Fallout Boy. I'll never like, you know. So I just don't understand liking anything as a grown ass person that much that you uh, come out <laughs> of the woodwork. Like, you're an adult. You're not. 12, you know, you shouldn't like anything that much, mm-hmm. but uh, but but politically, and I think with the algorithms of Twitter, the other group that came after me was the Ugandan uh, liberation movement. Okay, huh. came after me for saying I I uh, uh, really love that oh, that Biden is president today. <laughs> Why? Well, because there's algorithms <laughs> built into Twitter. That show, like somebody from oh. the thousand followers of the Ugandan Liberation Movement, was like, Hey, how can you be happy? I was besieged by this by like 15 people from the Ugandan Liberation Movement, not because they give a shit what the actress from the unicorn thinks about Biden, but because Twitter is <laughs> e- explaining to them, This is who you need to be mad at. This is how you need to be outraged, which further makes them not consider who is posting and why they might be posting and how I was sort of making fun of myself anyway, but that this is the thing I want to be Mm -hmm. mad at, which makes people sound like stans when they're probably not even, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody saw the the social uh, dilemma, right? I Uh, I started watching it. Yeah,
1: I started watching (laughs) it, and then I did did something. I probably went on Facebook. It's
2: really,
4: it's super janky, but it 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 does, you know, in a very like way to watch it with your kids, very illustrative way, show how you know we're we're sort of being manipulated to feel super strongly about these things that I don't think adults necessarily do.
1: Whenever I've run afoul of stands and I've tried to – like as it's happening, it feels like the worst – it's like I'm being attacked by all these people who are reading the worst Mm -hmm. possible thing into the thing that I just said that really had nothing to do with the issue that they're Mm -hmm. talking about. They just want to get mad at something, and here I am, so they're getting mad at that. And then when I explain it to people, as I'm explaining it, I'm like – I feel crazy explaining this. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel this is so, like, if I could go back, my, my, I had a grandfather who died in 2009. And if I could go back, if he, if I could like go back Mm -hmm. in time and try to explain, uh, run in with some stands online, he would be like, go outside and play. Like, this is not, this is, doesn't feel real. But, um, Tian, I wanna talk to you about like the realness of like, Stand because yeah, you can just like log off Twitter, but actually, I th- I feel like Twitter is sort of real life, and when you want to run, run a follow of stands, you can't really.
3: The like real the real liveness when when I think of stand culture too, I I also think of that it's not specifically about people too, and this was like the topic that we were going to talk about. I was like, you know, the thing that I think about most when it comes to stand culture is like the way people love America in a way that if you, for example, like Colin Kaepernick kneeling, kneeling during the anthem, that that infuriated people to such an extent. And that wasn't on Twitter. Like these are like, you know, your people out in the world. Meat space. It's in meat space. What I like to call IRL also, Um, (laughs) that sort of Stan culture of like getting so, caught up in an ideology and also in, in, in specifically because I've just been uh, with my in-laws a lot. And when Biden and Harris won, it was like a very we were all very excited. Um, but then I think there were comments that were like, America's fixed. And I said one thing. I was just like, No, it's it's not. And then we like got into a huge fight about how like America is the greatest country in the world. And I think it's what you said, Alyssa, of just like when you hold something to such a high standard, you miss the real life like consequences of ignoring. The the terrible and often like very violent things that can come from ideologies or people and their actions, um, without trying to figure out a way to have like a conversation about them. So that's what mm-hmm. I thought about when I heard Stan culture.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I think about. Um, I, I was thinking a little bit about this week uh, Chuck Schumer, aka No Fucks Chuck, uh, <laughs> sort of winning a power struggle with Mitch McConnell in the Senate. And um, in an interview that he did with Rachel Maddow, he pointed out that, you know, when Obama and the Democrats were negotiating uh, the Affordable Care Act in 2009, they made all these concessions for Republicans and then no Republicans voted for it. So, like, it's time to stop negotiating with people who are never, ever going to mm-hmm. like you. It's, it's time to stop, like, and maybe instead, you know, I, th- I guess this is my way of saying that, like, if you like a politician, it can be a lot more productive for you to engage with them critically because it's more productive for somebody to negotiate with someone who's on their side than it is for someone to negotiate with somebody who just wants them to lose no matter what. Yeah. Like, imagine if Democrats were negotiating with progressives and we mm-hmm. were getting more progressive stuff put in yep. to bills
4: instead Which is of— what's happening, essentially. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. If, I mean, finally, because no fucks Chuck might be afraid of being— primary uh, But, you know... One fuck, Chuck. One fuck, Chuck. One, one, yeah. one fuck. One, he gives one fuck, and that is the fuck that Chuck, Chuck gives.
3: <laughs> one fuck, Chuck. <laughs> one fuck, Chuck also just has so many other different meanings that are sad.
1: <laughs> um, Alyssa, like, in this, in this age of us having our first female vice president, uh, which is very exciting... Uh, and having a Democrat in office, which is very exciting, especially compared to the last four years, how do how do we engage, like thoughtfully and maturely, with people who we are also we are rooting for?
0: That's a very good question. You know, I think that here is how I feel. I think that right now it is really hard, and I felt this very viscerally when we first took office. It's like, give us a chance. Right. Let's see. Like right now, I think one of the interesting things you see, I think, and I think mostly people have been doing this, but it's like right now we know what Biden campaigned on. We know the promises that he made. We also know that right now he has come into office and uh, found out that Things that they thought were bad were twice as bad, right? They thought they mm-hmm. were going to come in and have to amend a COVID plan. They found out there is no fucking COVID plan. And so I think that we need to give them a little room and politicians generally a little room once they win to sort things out because governing is nothing like campaigning. And that's always like a rubber meets the road. I mean, even when we, even when we won. And then we went into the transition and you find out like you have all these grand plans and then they're like, oh, and you get like five staff people instead of the 50 that you had on the campaign. And so everything takes a little bit Mm. of adjustment. But I think that the most important thing is to really stop, drop and roll when you hear something. So the thing I think that we will suffer from for some time to come is that a lot of reporters, got really famous with viral Trump tweets. And so now there is this, who's going to be the first one to tweet this out and get us all fucking hopped up and get everybody engaged and and engaging with their tweet or whatever they posted on Facebook or whatever. And I think that we have to be as like, mature as mm-hmm. humanly possible. Because the thing is, it's like, if you're mad all the time, you're not engaging with people. It's like if 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 I, for example, were always hate tweeting the Biden administration and saying they never were doing anything right, or that they were falling short on everything, they're not listening to me. That's when they mute you and put you into the corner. So I think that the most important way to engage is to really do your research. Mm-hmm. Understand when something comes out and is reported or some piece of news or some policy don't just read the first two paragraphs read all the way to the bottom if there are associated links you may want to click them and just understand why certain decisions are being made and then if you if you have all of your facts and you don't you don't uh you don't agree you think they've fallen short then i think in a very like not Acerbic, over the top, super hyperbolic. I hope you fucking die. You've fallen short. You're such a loser. You've let us all down. I mean, say exactly what it is that you wish and be thoughtful in how you say it. I think that that's the problem is that for the last four years, especially, everyone's just kind of gotten by on being pissed off and rage tweeting. And I don't, I do think too that I'm sure you guys saw the, I think like a very good example was, the Marshall Plan for Moms mm-hmm. have you guys read about this mm-hmm. a bunch of bunch of um very famous women and mothers put forward a plan in the it was a New York Times op-ed and it said that, Basically, at this point, as of now, two million moms have been driven out of the workforce Mm -hmm. because of COVID. And how are we going to get them back? And that moms who are home homeschooling, doing all this, should be paid. The Marshall Plan for Mom calls for $2,400 checks for the next year or however long to moms who are home because of, of COVID. And- That was productive. It gave examples. It said, white and be helpful. And like now, as I understand it, the Biden people have seen that. They're taking it on board. Do do I think that $2,400 will ever happen? I don't. I mean, they're having a hard time getting COVID relief passed now because everyone's like, we've done enough. But I think thoughtful ways that are not accusatory, that don't say, there's a difference between failing and falling a bit short. And so I think that people just really need to just... I'll slow down a little bit and use your words a little bit better.
4: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: I know, but it's so much more fun to yell. I mean, I know. But here's the thing. If you are just pissed and you want to yell, you can do that. But if you're, like, really care about an issue and want to see, like, progress, you you might want to just calibrate the rage tweeting. I don't Mm -hmm. think you have to get rid of it altogether. I know. I
3: agree Mm -hmm. with you, Alyssa, but I also see that there is, like— I think on a certain level, too, there is a privilege to being able to channel that emotion in a very like thoughtful, concise way, because sometimes I mean, like people are fucking pissed and for very good reasons, too. And I think asking everyone to be able to like channel that in a way that is productive is also hard. And I think I'm very valid for people to be like, you know what? Fuck this. This is upsetting. This is very, we're not like, we haven't gotten stimulus checks. Uh, They're going to put Harriet Tubman maybe on the $20 bill, but like that doesn't help anyone right now. So like, I I think there's very valid reasons to be
0: still maybe rage tweeting a little bit. No, no, I totally agree with you on that. I just think that there are complicated issues that Mm -hmm. people don't take the time and I'm talking five minutes, not hours here, to read all the way down and understand what it is that they're rage-tweeting about, right? Totally. And it's not so much—I mean, I totally—when I saw the Harriet Tubman thing, I, I was like, are we talking about that right now? <laughs> like, is, this, is this what we're talking about right now? It's like I might have put a pin in that one for a couple weeks. But no, I think it's, it's more like, what— It's more like everything's happening now, but people being super angry that he hasn't done things Mm -hmm. that we need to get past COVID first to be able to address some of those things. That's that's more what I was talking about. Totally. Mm -hmm. Like you got to put on your pants before you put your shoes on.
1: Yes. Sort of. Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) Michaela, what was on your mind?
4: Well, I just think if we have, you know, if we went through these four years and we haven't learned anything, then what the hell were they even about? Like what the the thing, you know, like even one fuck Chuck has learned something, you know, he's <laughs> learned like where his time is useful and where he can negotiate and where he can't. And now that the shoe's on the other foot and he gets to be, you know, the one who gets to have final word on a lot of things, how you move forward, how you interact, how you, like, one thing that's great is we don't have a psychopath in office who really doesn't care genuinely about anything but himself. That person is gone. So now what the first thing that people need to understand is you don't have a psychopath who only cares about himself in office. You may not agree with everything, but you're not, he's not a psychopath. So there is le- at least human tissue there. So there's a human organism, you know, who's like <laughs> operating <laughs> consciously, you know, debatable whether you think it's like 6% or 2%, you know. And, but at least there's like a conscience there, you know. But one of the things that I've really taken away is indoctrination and mind control. And I think that that, that kind of, uh, all all or nothing kind of thinking is so dangerous and so uh, debilitating. And when I hear myself, I think everything that we see in these Trump supporters who are all in on this guy are all things that I'm completely capable of myself. And so I have learned that I am now really Conscientious about how I'm speaking and what I'm talking about, and mm-hmm. and that I'm going to hold the um you know Biden's feet to the fire, and not in a way where uh, I'm more interested in my self righteousness, but in a way that does this further conversation. Because if we can't mm-hmm. lay the groundwork for conversation with people from other side the other side, then how are we growing? How are we moving forward? What are we doing? You know. If, if it's people like who are just never, ever, ever going to see my side, that's the other thing I've learned. Like, I'm, I'm not going to try with you, just like Chuck. I'm not even, you know, this is not worth mm-hmm. my energy, and and I just posted the other day, yesterday, about my friend's art show, and it was like I told him, I said, I I, I just so you know, I did post about your art show, but you know, nobody cares unless I'm screaming at somebody, nobody cares. You know? <laughs> and, but but I think that's that's everything that I I've hated about these four years. I'm now constantly looking to see in myself, am I? falling completely in line with an ideology, with a person, with a savior, somebody who's going to come help us out of this thing. You know, I'm all for Elizabeth Warren. And you no, you can't say anything bad about Elizabeth Warren. But I promise you, I have <laughs> learned that if Elizabeth Warren magically became our president, that I would have conversations. Otherwise, we find ourselves exactly where we've just been. And that was hell.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the issue here is the blurring of the line between politics and celebrity. Like, it's fun to be a fan of a celebrity. Being a fan of a celebrity might be a little bit toxic and consuming, but, like, politicians are not mm-hmm. celebrities. Even though we know mm-hmm. who they are And a lot of— and there are—you know, our last president was a celebrity who became a politician. Um, I think it's—I really hope that we can build the wall— between a person who is... Wait, what? what? (laughs) What? We're
0: building the wall. There was an EO saying there'd be no wall. (laughs) (laughs) But
1: I really want to build the wall between um, what it means to be a fan of a person who is making art and what it means to be a fan of a person who is making policy. Mm -hmm. And I think art can be very political. Obviously, there are going to be people who like who who are the exceptions that prove the rule and fall on either side of that. But like, you know, I think it's kind of fun to, to be like, mm. Chrissy Teigen's perfect. How dare you get mad about her? You know, it's like, it's <laughs> fun. You know, if Chrissy Teigen were running for office and she was like, I just don't think the public option is a great idea. I would be like, Chrissy Teigen, what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> I'm a big fan of you otherwise, but like, this is not, this is not it. So it just seems to me like the celebrity-ness of as much as so many people in Washington so thirst to be celebrities, we should not give them that. Mm-hmm. Like that is not what they're there to do. They're not there to be mm-hmm. fawned over. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: I mean I remember Alyssa when right before the election or I think we had talked about how we were infuriated that all these politicians were like dunking on each other on Twitter, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like I, you know I do love that. Fine, yes, it's fun to see, but at, at the end of the day, right. I don't, I don't want to see you dunking on each other. Like it makes me so uncomfortable. It
4: makes me uncomfortable too, totally. And Ted, Ted Liu is like a perfect example of that, where he's got some ace comebacks. He's like, <laughs> he's in the, he went to the Aaron Gloria Ryan uh, School of. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Duncan and 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 props to him. But also, I'm like, I, I, I'm kind of like, okay, switch the gear because I don't think this is fruitful.
1: <laughs> yeah. right. I, I, think, I mean,
4: that's how we get Ted Cruz. That's how we get Ted Cruz yeah. thinking think that he's Rogan. winning
1: fights with yeah. Seth Rogen on. So weird. He is <laughs> oh, not winning not, fights. He's not. With Seth, Rogen. <laughs> Seth Rogen is a first of all pottery master. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, impressively so. Like, unbelievably good at pottery. Um, secondly, uh, way smarter and funnier mm-hmm. than Ted Cruz. <laughs>
0: but Ted Cruz has no awareness of how lame he is. No, it's not only that. Ted Cruz loves that Seth Rogen's engaging with him. He oh, loves it. Yeah. It makes it feel so cool. Oh, my God.
3: Ted Cruz yeah. is like, we both have beards now. So, yeah, I can engage with you. And Seth Rogen, you and I are the it's, same. We are brothers like when they, on Twitter. It's like when they tried, remember for a week,
4: they tried to make the right wing daily show. Did they really? And, and it just wasn't funny. Oh, yeah. It just wasn't, there was no, it just wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, no jokes. objectively, objectively, uh, not even a little bit funny. It wasn't. Yeah. You
1: know, it's, it's funny to bring it around to, to where we started. Um, we I was talking about Michaela, you mentioned throwing an ax at somebody and I, <laughs> you know, said, let's, let's not be violent, but I would do a dunk tank where I could pay, you know, money and go dunk someone that was very unlikable. I think I would pay a thousand dollars to dunk Ted Cruz. I would pay a thousand dollars. Wow. To I think I would An, an ice cold dunk mm-hmm. tank. We could solve we could solve the national debt if we just charged between 100 and and $1,000 for whoever wants to can dunk Ted Cruz. Just, I want a, a
3: tank of jellyfish. I want that <laughs> to get stung like
4: crazy. I think instead of a dunk tank, a punk tank. So, like, I could punk Ted Cruz. And I and what it is is, like, <laughs> Ted Cruz thinks he's going to, like, um, do, like, a commercial or something like that. And so you put him in the most bru- brutal of shooting conditions. Like, it's super cold, but he's in a t-shirt. And he has to, you know, his call time is like 4 a.m. But there's no commercial actually being shot.
1: Brutal. Mm-hmm.
4: They're doing, C- CBS
1: presents The Revenant. The Revenant is now a series on CBS, and he is just in the Leo role. Just- He's cold and he's uh, wet. It's like that Clarice show. You yeah. can make entire <laughs> shows out of movies
3: that were perfectly fine. You're like, the bear part can be even more violent because TV lets you. So we can just make that even <laughs> more aggressive.
1: But nobody is taking off their shirt. There is no shirtlessness. It's TV. This is America. We've got to keep our kids pure. Okay. <laughs> that was a great conversation about standum. I hope that, you know, we can all proceed forward through this period of democratic control, engaging thoughtfully and lovingly with the ways that the Democrats fuck up. Because they will, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they're also going to do things that are not fuck-ups. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay, let's take a quick break and when we come back, Sanity Corner.
2: With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream... The Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream, Extraordinary Dairy.
1: Welcome back. We have almost reached the end of the show, but we still have enough time to tell you things that are making us happy. It's Sanity Corner. We were actually gonna do I feel petty this week, but nobody was angry. All of our <laughs> anger is gone. <laughs> Michaela was angry, but not angry enough. Tien has reached a state of
2: pure I'm numb. numbness. I'm just numb. She's,
1: it's because it's cold. You should get like go jump up and down a few times so your circulation starts going.
3: I mean, I got my hat on.
1: Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, Alyssa's got a sanity corner though, so let's let's start with
0: Alyssa's sanity corner. Guys. I am taking socially distant dance classes. Ooh, oh,
2: my God.
0: So I have a friend who has a barn that's very big. And four of us get in the barn, you know, with our masks on and everything. And uh, we're learning Broadway dance routines. And we have every intention of learning something beginning to end and doing a mini recital yes. when we are done. Oh, And oh my it has given us—we have all been, like, super COVID funk— it's like, I mean, you know how it is. I mean, look, I'll say, I thought Joe Biden's going to be president. We're all going to get vaccinated in a month. Like, I knew it wasn't true, but it's like super not true now every time Anthony Fauci gets on TV. And so the four of us were like, we need something that, in, that brings joy. So uh, we warm up. We practice routines. There was a little tap involved. Uh, and so it is uh, 90 minutes, and uh, it's, it's, it's joy. What routines are
3: you doing? Like, are, oh, are, it's just going to be a big reveal to Okay, I hope there are think, some excerpts from. Step think up a to chorus the line.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> think of, I mean, we're oh, old wow. and white.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Wow. Um, I, you need to stream this when you do your recital. You need to stream I promise, the recital. Guys. Is there singing in the jam?
0: It's a whole alter ego I may never <laughs> overcome. But mostly, you guys, all I want to do is turn on "That's Entertainment" by Judy Garland and kick my leg high where it does not go, I and love just this. like that's amazing, you know, be grand. But we have to start slow, even though I took tap for 15 years. <laughs> Barn tap—that's a new thing that that Alyssa invented—is tap. Barn universe. tap coming wow. to a bar near you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that is wonderful. Top that, bitches. I I don't know if I can. Tien, why don't you go next?
3: I had two things that were just like, they're very small and they both have to do with just general body health. But I got a foot bath and it feels really nice. Nice. (laughs) Just a little. That is great advice. You know, I feel like now is the time to work on my... Sorry, TMI, but my corns and calluses. Steve Madden <laughs> owes me a lot of fucking money because he ruined my
4: feet with his bargainy shoes.
3: <laughs> with his bargainy shoes. So, Mr. Steve Madden, if you hear this, you owe me some podiatry treatments. Um, <laughs> so, I've been trying to take care of some of that. Um, and also, I got. But, for my Kindle, I got like a little holder because it was holding it was hurting my wrists and I dropped it on my face uh, in bed and and so this little strap that you kind of like stick your hand in, you can hold the Kindle really easily, and for some reason, it's bringing me a lot of joy. So I'm really into like ergonomic design for the body right now. so <laughs>
1: That's those, great. you like are the, my two things. You're like the client of all the Shark Tank inventors. I know, you're like, ooh, a, a fitness board. I'm going to buy that, and you're going to tell everyone that it changed your life. And- I'm I'm the happiest
3: in a Brookstone. You know, like, let me go in there, try all the massage chairs. Is that what that store is called, Brookstone? Yep. Brookstone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Love all of those types of gadgets. Like, if I can massage something, it can. If it's a thing that can help me hold something easier, I mean, I'm all
1: about that. That sounds great. I'll I'll do my sanity corners next cuz I have two cuz they're both they both don't take very long to explain. First thing, guys, have you ever braised cabbage in <laughs> butter and white wine and with a, some caraway no. seeds? No. Because Mm-mm. it is really good. Um you can throw dill on at the end instead of having caraway seeds. Just put some salt on that, a little black pepper. It is a treat. Mm. It is a real winter treat. <laughs> Love some braised
4: cabbage. Um, oh, just a one-way ticket to Fart City.
1: Yeah, it was
0: just <laughs> gonna say. That's pretty much. I didn't. Fart I City, Utah. Fart City,
1: <laughs> famous for its skiing and cabbage. Um, I uh, other thing is not related to uh, eating or farting. Farts. Um, but I just finished a book that I really loved. It's called Outlawed by Anna North. And it is about, and I'm just going to, I don't want to give away too much about, it. it is about a gang of cross-dressing mm. cowgirls, <gasps> including one non-binary cow um huh. called The Kid, who go around the Wild West in an alternate American history doing crimes <gasps> with the intent of starting a new society for only queer and social outcasts cow people. it's okay. uh, wow. It is a lot of fun. Um, one of the things I hate about books about the American West, like Cormac McCarthy-type books, is if you meet an animal and the main character likes it, the animal's going to die. Like, there's always... It's just, like, <laughs> relentless. Anything this person likes is going to be taken away. Um, in this book, it's not relentless tragedy. Um, it is adventure, so there's, like, the... Things, bad things do happen, but everything that happens isn't bad. Um, I just loved it. And Anna North is a great writer. She's written, I think it's her third book, and uh, just mm-hmm. could not recommend it more. It's called Outlawed. That's my sanity. Outlawed, yeah. Okay. And the cover art fucks. The cover art wow. is awesome. Huh. It's really, really good cover. You can judge this book by its cover. Um, Michaela, what is your sanity corner this week?
4: You know, Aaron, I think of you all the time because I have a million. And one books that I want to read, and I am um, I am a colossally slow reader. Uh, I have dyslexia, and it so it, I have to read every single word. And I think about you all the time every time I start reading because I'm like, Aaron would be done with this book by now because <laughs> you just you <laughs> like you you eat them for breakfast. Like you just go through so many books, and I'm always so impressed. Um, okay. So my uh my sanity quarter is in such tandem with Alyssa's because my sanity quarter is that I uh started taking singing lessons on Zoom and oh. then those parlayed into guitar lessons on Zoom with another teacher oh my who's God. in Austin, Texas and she has this um uh she teaches classes called girl guitar and uh and you can take from her and you can do it one-on-one or in, in a group. I was doing it with a group. Everybody's muted. Nobody can hear each other. She teaches us, you know, a song every class. But, you know, I have to say, like, the endorphins that you are getting, Alyssa, from dancing and everything, you get from breathing and singing. And, and it is no matter what mood, if I'm in the crankiest COVID-y, um, you know, little space, it when I get on that... Zoom, by the time I'm done with my, ha- my 45 minutes or 50 minutes or whatever, I am in the best mood because I don't allow myself to sing in the world. I'm not, I don't consider myself a singer. But that's starting to change, you know? But when you're alone in your house and you're like, maybe this time I'll be lucky. <laughs> and it's just this other guy who's looking at you like, that was fantastic and you know, he's, he's not right. I, it was not fantastic, but for me it was. And, um, and that is, it's like, I get high. I get genuinely high off of those classes. Yeah. I just buy a package, I I buy a package. That sounds so fun. And like once a week or, you know, every 10 days and space it out. And, um, sometimes I have prepared a song and some, it's like therapy. Like sometimes you just see what happens when you get there.
1: <laughs> that was amazing.
4: I love it. You guys, after
1: this is all over, <laughs> Michaela and Alyssa can get together. Have a talent show. I have a talent <laughs> show for sure.
3: <laughs> Tian and I And can I'll share. show up with
1: smooth feet. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, this was so great, and that's all the time we have for the show today. Michaela and Tian, thank you for stopping by. Alyssa, Master thank you for being my ride or die. Thank you to Councilwoman Nithya Raman from LA's Fourth District for joining us, and thanks to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria next week. <laughs> Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastermonico is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Narmel Konian and Magic Root. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week.